I won't respond to Philip because I'm just too, too much like Jesus to do anything to, to respond to that. Uh, no, thank you. Thank you, Philip and Gabrielle, for leading us in worship again. They're going to be gone for another couple of weeks doing some vacation stuff the next couple of weeks. We've, we've missed you these last couple. Uh, a couple of things as we get started. I, I forgot to mention earlier that we had a, a ministry meeting on Wednesday night, and our whole goal is to hopefully get our ministries more organized and to find ways for all members of our church to get involved and, and plug in. Um, so we would love for you to continue to be part of those conversations. The next one will be um, on Sunday, June 9th, right after worship. And if you don't have a way that you're plugged in in a ministry here, we'd love for you to get involved and find a way to, to participate participate in what uh, God is doing here because we feel like uh, everybody needs roles and needs things to do in our church uh, to continue to help our church thrive. I also want to mention as we start our, our final installment of this How to Grieve series, someone who, who is grieving today, we found out um, that Adrine's um, cousin Carmen passed away, who we have been praying for in Iran, and so we um, mourn with you, Adrine, as you uh, continue to mourn um, her loss, and please let us know how we could help you and, and be with you as you mourn that. So we've been doing this series called How to Grieve, looking at the book of Lamentations, which is a very odd book. It's a book that's in the Old Testament, and it's five chapters long. And basically, it's someone just kind of saying, God, where are you at? Like, what's happening here? Like, we are in exile. We're in this tough situation. We're not really going to figure this all out yet. Like, where are you? What is happening here? What's going on? And I think this book is actually very helpful and important for us to think about because there's some times in life when you're going to go through a lamentation season where you're going to be trying to, to follow perhaps what God would want you to do with your life and you just have perhaps more questions than answers. And the book of Lamentations is, is pretty uh, fascinating. It's a book that's written at a time when the city is in exile and things once were really good and now they aren't anymore. And so people have some hard questions for God. And in some ways, it's written almost like, like, a, like a play where you have three characters. The city is personified as, as a woman. There's a narrator. And then there's this, this strong man who shows up in chapter three. But something that's interesting that you might not have noticed about Lamentations is it has five chapters. Chapter one has 22 verses. Chapter two has 22 verses, chapter 4 has 22 verses, and chapter 5 has 22 verses. Does anybody know how many cha- verses chapter 3 has? It's not 22. That's a good guess. I know. Thank you for putting yourself out there. Nobody wanted to guess that because it's like they didn't think it was actually 2. It, it does not have 22 or, or 23. It has 66. What does 66 have to do with 22? Any ideas? Three times. Yeah, someone said three times. Yeah, um, it's, it's three times 22. And I know most of you probably don't, don't know Hebrew. I don't really know Hebrew all that well either. I studied it for a little while, but I don't know it uh, all that well. But there are, are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And here is the Hebrew alphabet right here for you. And it, it, it reads from the other side than um, you would typically read from. So it starts with Aleph and, and Bet and Gemel. And so what the writer is doing in Lamentations in chapter 1, 2, 4, and 5 is doing a bit like what we would call an acrostic, where, you know, you, you start with the one letter and you go through. So chapter 1 is A, B, C, D, and goes goes through the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Chapter 2 is A, B, C, then chapter 4 is A, B, C, chapter 5 is A, B, C. And so this is something that we miss in our English translation, which would probably be helpful for us if they could find some way to use those words, but they would be a little bit complicated perhaps. But so what happens in the entire book is it has this, this form and this structure. And then what happens in chapter 3, which has the 66 verses, it goes 
A, 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 B, 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 C, 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 D, D. So it goes and it pauses and it has like these three in a row. Like, okay, not just one, but we're going to do three, like back to back to back, back to back to back, back to back. And if you're thinking about this, how this would have been read aloud and would have been heard in, in public, like it, it would have done something to your ear, right? It would have had like the, the form of like, all right, it's going to go through these different letters. And then chapter three is different. It's like, no, there's something different about the sound here. And in some ways, I think what chapter 3 is, is doing is um, something that, that we have all experienced, although perhaps, and one of the reasons why I want to do this series is because I think it's easy to look at this and think, this is so ancient, and I don't even connect with this anymore, what is this even about? But in reality, the same thing still happens for us today. And chapter 3, I believe, is that angry song. Like, it's like, this is not right. Something has gone wrong. And it starts with, like, the typical form, like I said, A, B, C, D, but then it stops in this, this one chapter and just, like, someone who's, like, shaking the fist and saying, this isn't right. So what music did you listen to as a teen that helped you in those moments when you were a little upset? How many of those bands can anybody name? I mean, NWA, that's a little unfair, but the other ones, anybody can name any of those? Steppenwolf, down there in the corner. Rage Against the Machine, up there on the top left, and then Corn, which I'm a little embarrassed is up there, but uh, I listen to some Corn uh, from time to time with a K, straight out of Bakersfield. And um, if, if you ever listen, go ahead and put, play some of those for me, Simon. Yeah, so this is the Rage Against the Machine uh, Bulls on Parade, which we can only listen to about the first 30 seconds of because it gets a little dangerous after that. Um, but... Uh, Rage Against the Machine is that. I asked Bill Rogue to consider what band was his, like, uh, Shake Your Fist in the Sky, and he said Steppenwolf, which is, is, a, is a good one. Switch to that one, Simon, if you want. Um, and it's kind of interesting that they, the bands look a lot more menacing, like, in t- today's day and age. Like, Steppenwolf looks pretty chill. Like, I actually want to hang out with those guys. But what was it for you that maybe, you know, you were mad at the world, you're mad at your parents, you're mad at politics or whatever, and you just like would go in your room and just like turn that song all the way up. And maybe you were someone who was too good to actually do that. But I know I did at times. I had some, some rage against the machine type moments. And I think what's happening here in chapter three of Lamentations is it's this, this character who is basically saying, no, this, this is messed up. And it's, it would have sounded different for the people who would have first heard it. They would have recognized this is somebody who's like, you know, throwing a fist in the air and being upset about what is currently happening. And this is a part of the process of grief that I think is important that we can often overlook that at some points we need to find some way to express our anger, to let it out. Maybe for you, you're somebody who is really good with the written word. Maybe for you, you need to write it down on a sheet of paper. Or maybe you need to just voice it to somebody. When I was in my uh, last semester of, of college at uh, ACU, uh, my, my parents um, were getting a divorce, which was surprising to me, and there was some hard stuff that, that I learned about that, and it was just a time that I was probably my most angry in my life. So I went to a therapist for several months, which is something that I would highly recommend to anybody who's going through something difficult. And he said, well, you're studying to do ministry, right? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, my advice for you, because you might not be someone who does this very much, is to, to cuss for a while. And I said, really? Like, is, am I allowed to do that? And he said, yeah. You know, and he, and he talked about how actually biblically there are passages in Scripture, like in the Old Testament and in some of the New Testament, that it's 
words that like we would maybe say aren't necessarily the best words to use. And he said sometimes those things help us to express things that are in our hearts that we need to talk about a little bit. So his recommendation was if you just let anger kind of linger there and don't ever give a voice to it, it'll continue to wreck your life. And so you need to find a way for a certain amount of time per day where like you'll say to anger, you know, I'm going to be driving, but you can be in the passenger seat. Express what you need to say and then just slowly work through it. And so I actually took up his advice. I would go um, on the, the track um, at ACU, and I would run around the track. People probably thought I had Tourette's or something. And I would run around um, the, the, the track and, and say, you know, some of those, those hard things, uh, those words that I generally would try to avoid. And I have to tell you, it really helped because there was a, a time at the beginning of that process where it took me, you know, 20 or 30 minutes running around saying those things. And eventually you just get a little tired of being angry. And at the beginning of this process, again, it took me about 20 minutes, but after a while it took me 15 and 10 and 5 until I wasn't so motivated by anger. And I really felt that it helped me to have my Lamentations 3 moment where I was just saying, you know, hard things to God, being frustrated, wondering, you know, what is even going on here? How does this make any sense? Being willing to actually, you know, like put some, some words, giving voice to that frustration. And I think it helped me eventually as I slowly moved out of that period. Because if you don't voice anger somewhere, I think it has implications for all of your life. So maybe you need as you think about the process of grief. Maybe there's something that you're grieving right now. You need to spend a little time angry and allowing that that anger to not affect everyone else in your life, but to find a safe way to let it go. And there's some sort of power in it. And again, Lamentations 3, it's, it's, it's very poetic in how it's written, but still it's pretty angry. There's the part about the steadfast love of the Lord in there, but it's somebody who also has given some really hard things to God. And sometimes it's kind of beautiful and oddly interesting to see it that way. There was a letter that was very famous about five years ago that was written by someone who was sitting on an unfortunate airplane seat. And this is what, what he wrote about his, his experience. He said, Dear Continental Airlines, I'm disgusted as I write this note to you about the miserable experience I'm having sitting in seat 29E as on one of your aircrafts. As many of you know, this seat is situated directly across from the lavatory, so close that I can reach out my left arm and touch the door. All my senses are being tortured simultaneously. It's difficult to say what the worst part about sitting in 29E really is. Is it the stench of the sanitation fluid that is blown over my body every 60 seconds when the door opens? Is it the whoosh of the constant flushing? I am picturing a boardroom full of executives giving props to the young promising engineer that figured out how to squeeze an additional row of seats onto this plane by sitting next to the lab. A gross picture. I would like to flush his head in the toilet that I'm close enough to touch from, uh, touch and taste from my seat. That, this actually goes on for about 15 pages, and it's this like epic thing that, that went viral with, with somebody um, giving voice to the frustration of having to sit in that seat. If you've ever had to sit in that seat, you know what that's like, being a little bit close um, to that spot on the plane. And you look at it and you think, wow, that's, that's pretty crazy. I can't believe that person actually did that. But in some ways, that sort of writing is a bit therapeutic. It's a way of, of like putting out there your, your frustration, saying, you know, what is actually going on in your heart and expressing the things that you might actually feel. 
In the book of Psalms, which are like basically the hymn book of ancient Israel, there are things that are said that we would never say generally in our prayers. But David and others who wrote the Psalms were very honest to God. Like, this is what I'm actually going through. This is what I'm, I'm struggling with. This is what's on my heart. And so Lamentations 3, I think, with this pattern that breaks from the A, B, C, D, breaks to A, 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 B, 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 C, 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 is that moment when you're frustrated. And again, maybe that's that song that you listened to when you were growing up, when you had that angst and you, you know, wanted to throw some, some things around and you were frustrated. But then Lamentations 4 and 5 returns to that pattern, A, B, C, D, A, B, C, D, because what happens after the anger is gone. Because sometimes the dust settles and this change has occurred. And one of the things that we experience when we lose someone who is important to us or we're grieving, whatever it is that we happen to be grieving, is we recognize that something has changed. And perhaps it's forever changed. And change is just difficult for us all to deal with, if we're honest. When someone changes an email system at your work, I know everybody freaks out for a few days, right? On any level, change is hard for us to deal with, and change is loss, and loss is change. When is a time in your life when you just struggled with with a change, whatever it happened to be? There was something that you experienced or something that you went through that was really difficult, and you wrestled with that for a while. As I mentioned, I did my graduate school in Abilene, Texas, and when I went to Abilene, I went from undergrad at Pepperdine, so I went from Malibu, California to Abilene, Texas, which is a really rough transition. Uh, And if you don't know where Abilene is, it's just like the middle of the state, three hours from anything in Texas that is actually worth living in. So, um, and as I was there, it was interesting, like kind of experiencing that transition. But then I had people come up to me, and they had found out that I was from California. And literally, in the first couple of weeks, I had about five people come up and say, Texas is better than California. <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't know that was a thing. Like, honestly, I, I'm, I'm happy for people who live in Texas. I have family who lives in Texas. I really love Texas. There's some great, great places in Texas. I'm happy that they're happy there. Yeah, I really am. I have, I have nothing against them. It's, it's interesting. I feel like everybody has beef with L.A. Like, New York hates L.A., and San Francisco hates L.A., San Diego hates L.A., and we're just like, we're cool. Like, I don't know. I get, you, I'm happy you guys are happy wherever you're at. Yeah, I had that experience. I was like, man, I just don't feel like I'm from here. Being in Abilene in the middle of nowhere and everybody rushing up and saying California's better than Texas. I was like, okay, that's cool. I don't really understand. And that change was one of those changes in my life. It was was difficult. Like I'd come out of undergrad where I had a lot of friends and had a lot of community and it it was hard to adjust to that new atmosphere and what was happening. And so it's important for us sometimes to recognize just how difficult change is. It's not easy. So Lamentations 4 and 5 is basically after the things have been thrown and, you know, you've listened to Rage Against the Machine or Steppenwolf and you're just like, all right, I I think I've, you know, let some of that anger out. But now, like, just spending some time reflecting and giving voice to the change that has happened. So Lamentations chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 says, says this, how the gold has lost its luster, the fine gold has become dull, the sacred gems are scattered at every street corner. How the precious children of Zion, once worth their weight in gold, are now considered as pots of clay, the work of a potter's hands. So after this dramatic change in chapter 3, we turn to chapter 4. 
And basically, the writer's saying, this used to be this. And now, it's this. And I think there's great power in that. Just being able to express in some ways that I used to have a lot of comfort or hope. I used to really connect with whatever it is. It used to be this way. And now, it's this way. And it may be that it's like way worse, or it may be even that it's way better. But it used to be this way. And now, it's this way. I don't think we spend enough time reflecting on how life is just going. It seems like life just gets faster and faster and faster. We don't necessarily have time like Lamentations chapter 4 and chapter 5 to just say, you know, it used to be this way. And now, it's this way. Later in uh, Lamentations chapter 4, uh, verse 12, uh, Lamentations says, The kings of the earth did not believe, nor did any of the peoples of the world, that enemies and foes could enter the gates of Jerusalem. Basically, the people who were in charge, those who were, were running this place, where there used to be great festivals, where there used to be sacred gold, and all this stuff, all this really important stuff, nobody believed that this place would ever be overtaken. This seemed like, this city seemed like something that was going to stand forever. I can't help but read that verse and think of what happened to us collectively as a nation on 9 11 where for the first time, our aura of invincibility, our thought in some ways that life in the United States was like the best kind of life, the best way to live, the idea that we felt like we were just always going to, to live without fear of like something happening actually here, things change. And it's important at times for us to pause and recognize that because loss is change and change is loss. And sometimes we need to give voice to those things to allow, you know, our anger perhaps to come out, but then to pause and think about how what we might do if we were going to move forward. I told this story, I think, in a series about a year ago, but I think it's really important for, for this thought as well. There was a a consultant who did consulting with different companies, and there was this bank that was severely underperforming. And so this consultant goes into the bank, and he's trying to figure out exactly what's going wrong, and he realizes that this bank had made it a few transitions and some things were, were going on, and one of the things they did was they changed their logo. And he realized that several people at the bank were, like, missing the old logo. And so what he did is he organized a funeral for the old logo, and this sounds dumb, but they had a moment and they like put the old logo on the screen and they had people come up and share about their positive experiences with the old logo. And generally it wasn't actually the logo itself that was the thing, but it was like, you know, memories around the old logo. Remember when that happened? Remember that happened? And they got up and, and shared and spent some time reflecting on the fact that th- that logo was gone. And so the consultant then takes that logo and says, you know, this logo is done. Now we have a new one, and they put up the new one on the screen, and they found it to be a very therapeutic moment for that bank, and it actually helped them move forward. And that sounds dumb, and that sounds like, really? Like, would somebody actually need that? But I think we do. 
I think sometimes we need things that help us mark different seasons in our lives. One of the things that I've learned as I've grown older is that as you're growing up, there's a lot of markers in your life. Like, you know, you, you go from kindergarten to middle school, you go from middle school to high school, you go from high school to college, and there's all these markers. But then after you basically finish, you know, high school or college, it's like, well, good luck, basically, you know. And maybe you'll get married. That'll, that'll be, a, be a pretty big marker. But like, good luck until you die. Like you start with a lot of markers. You start with a lot of things, things that are happening and things that are going on. Just this week, our son Carter, he's going to kindergarten next year. So he had his last day of preschool on Wednesday. And uh, on Monday, as I was taking him to school, I said, Bud, you only have two days of, of preschool left. And um, he said, when am I going to see my friends again? And it was that moment. I was like, oh, man. I started to cry. I was like, probably never. <laughs> I, they're they're all, all going their separate ways. Some are going to be in his, his class moving forward. But it was like that first realization for him that, you know, there's this group of people, and it's not going to be the same. And this happens so much in life that I just turned to him and said, that's life, son. No, I didn't say it. No, I didn't, I didn't actually say that. But there's moments that we all experience, and it's hard because we just move from thing to thing, and it used to be like this, and now it's like that. And it's not that the old way was always necessarily better, but oftentimes we don't spend time thinking about it. Yeah, things have changed. And that's hard for us as humans to deal with. I always try to tell couples who, who are getting married, I always tell them that you need to spend some time like really looking at the people who are in your room on your wedding day because it's likely that that same room full of people will never be together again. And not in a morbid way or anything, but these are like the people who you have chosen to be together. And it's likely that that room full of people is never going to be the same again. And life is full of, of beautiful and sometimes moments that are a little tragic for us as we think about that. It's why when you look at old pictures, there's a hint of, of kind of joy and you're smiling about how your hair used to be or how you used to have hair or whatever it is. But there's also a little bit of sadness too because you're never going to go back to that place. So Lamentations teaches us how important it is I think to just sometimes just spend some moments, you know, maybe after the anger is over, just say, no, it's not going to be the same ever again. And that's not necessarily good or it's not necessarily bad, but if we don't spend some time saying, yeah, it's just not going to be the same. We can just move right on and not deal with what we actually have to deal with. So these chapters continue again in that pattern. And they end in Lamentations chapter 5, with this, you, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures from generation to generation. Why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us for so long? Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old, unless you utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. And at this point, you turn and hope there's Lamentations chapter 6, but that's how it ends. Basically, this moment where the community is saying, God, I think you still love us, but are you going to be angry with us forever? It's a very odd 
ending. And really, that's the, one of the themes of this book. You know, God, are you still with us or not? And it's a bit of an odd ending, but in some ways, I think it's medicine for American Christianity. That there are times in, in our lives when we're going to walk like this, where we're just not really sure, God, I, I, I want to walk, I want to pretend that, that I believe, I, I want to walk with you in this moment, but it's hard because of these things that, that have happened, because of the changes that have occurred. I don't really see your plan. I don't understand what's happening. And we can think at times that faith is, is certainty, but what Lamentations allows us to do, I believe, is to sit with questions together. And what's important to remember about a book like this is it wasn't just written for an individual, it was written for a community of people. And it's so important for us as churches and as people to sometimes sit with these questions, to recognize that it's okay to have questions, to have doubts, to sometimes say, God, I don't even understand why this change happened in my life. Why did this happen? I I don't have like a moment. And there's some Bible stories that, you know, it's kind of like you see something bad happen, and then you see, like, well, God redeemed it in the end. But Lamentations is one of those books that says, well, there's just this bad stuff that's happened, and God, where are you? I think it's so great to have books like this that help us to recognize that there's real life in the Bible. Kathleen O'Connell, who wrote the main commentary that I was reading for the series, she says this, lamentation names what is wrong, what is out of order, what keeps human beings from thriving. Simple acts of lament expose these conditions, open them to grief and anger. They make them open so moving forward is possible. Being willing at times to lament things, to say this is wrong This is out of order. This is difficult for me. God, I don't understand. It used to be this way, but now it's this way. I don't really fully understand this. Let me name this. And it's in that act that oftentimes then we are able to move forward. It's how sometimes we identify and say, okay, God, I don't understand what's happening here. It helps us be open for moving on. Imagine how families might be different if someone just raised their hand and said, "We, we need to talk about this. Oftentimes things just like, oh, don't, aren't really discussed or aren't talked about, and then, you know, maybe we'll get around to it in five years or something. But imagine if someone was brave enough to say, you know, I want to I talk about the elephant in the room, because there's a huge elephant in the room. And it might be a hard conversation, and it might involve having someone else to be present, to be part of it. But what if you were brave enough to say, I don't want this to, like, affect our family for five more years. Let's talk about it. Let's open this up to God's work. When we don't pause and lament, I think it causes us to live with a certain sense of despair when we don't think about what's actually happening and ask those hard questions. We just move on and we don't necessarily confront the realities of life. That's one of the great blessings of being part of of a church community. Uh, One of the things that, I mean, is, is always just, part of my job to, to keep up and I think is really important for all of us is our prayer list. Because every single week, there's someone who's dealing with, with something. And that, that thing is something that we're, we're praying for. You know, some people, sometimes people share joyous things and we celebrate with those people and we're excited about that. But every week, there's just ongoing things and we hear, you know, someone had this happen and we, we pray for that person and that family. And I think that's one of the ways that, that we help, like, keep in touch with reality. 
There are people in our midst always who are struggling, who, who need an extra hug, who need us to remember them in prayer, who need us to, you know, like, pause and talk to them and say, how are you actually doing? And there's great power, I think, in facing the reality of life and choosing to persist in hope, even when it's difficult. Part of lament is, is knowing that you aren't alone. And when you're brave enough to say something about something that you've gone through or something that you've experienced, you see in, in others that you aren't alone. As we close this series, I know that for some of you, you've been in like a really joyous month, and you're like, why do we keep talking about this, Brian? And hopefully you'll never need it. This is like a sermon series that'll be online forever, and so hopefully you'll never have to to go and listen to it. But for some of us, this has been at a season when we really are struggling. And we need each other watching out for each other. We need to have important conversations about what's actually going on. And I hope that as we walk away, we think of of these things. If you go to the next slide, Simon, and the worship team can come up for our our final song. We're going to sing that that song once again that we just sang. Lamentations, I think, teaches us the importance of actually naming pain, of being willing to say, like, "This, this is wrong, this is broken, this isn't right. And I would argue that generally in our culture today, we're better at numbing pain than actually naming it. We're better at finding ways to just avoid the thing than actually talking about the thing. Secondly, from Lamentations, I think we learn that you can ask God really hard questions, that it's okay to to ask questions, maybe even that you'll never get answers to. Third, I think we see the power of, of seeking community together. Again, this book was written for a community of people struggling with something difficult. Fourth, as we talked about today, finding a place where we can have an outlet for our anger to be able to say, this is wrong, this is messed up. But then after that space, perhaps, acknowledging that a change has happened. This was once like this, and now it's like this. And that's not either good or bad, it just is. What would it look like for you to walk through grief in a way that I think honors the way that Scripture would want us to? I think Justin said it really beautifully last week in our our closing thought that he's wondering if there's ever a point that you stop grieving. And I think in reality, there are things that occur that happen to us that, you know, every time the anniversary comes along, we're going to shed a tear. And that's okay. Because grief is difficult. But it's also real. And I hope that this series is something that you always have in mind because you are always welcome here, no matter what you're going through or what you're experiencing. And I hope that you're willing to bring your hard questions to bring your burdens to share with someone else. Because there's great power in us coming as we really are, in naming the pain that we're actually experiencing, and to grieving together. So we're going to sing this song once again, Come As You Are. And no matter where you happen to be on this scale in a situation that you're grieving, or perhaps you're in a season of celebration, we're happy for you, we're happy that you're here. But I hope that you'll think about what your next step is 
might be in a process of grief because it's important for us as we continue uh, to move forward. Let's stand and worship together.